2: Hi guys, welcome back to the Spurred On podcast. It's two mornings after the night before. So what I thought would be good is to get a Chelsea fan on to get their viewpoint because we kind of started afresh at the same time and obviously they stole the love of our lives. So I'm going to introduce you to Matt Beadle. He is a television presenter. He is a football coach and also a Chelsea fan. Matt, thanks for coming on. How are you?
1: Yeah, well, thanks, Barney. Thanks very much for having me. Um, Does this? I was wondering, does this mean that I'm going to lose my powers like uh, Superman or something does when he is confronted with kryptonite. You know, a Chelsea fan being on a on a Tottenham uh, uh, podcast. Or are we going to be okay?
2: Well, as a Tottenham fan, all I can say is I hope so. I hope you lose all of your powers in the same way that you banished all our powers the other night. So uh, I guess probably the starting point is, was it as mental from where you were looking that game as it was to all of us?
1: It, you know what? I mean, I've been watching high. A level football for 40 years. I honestly think it's in my top three craziest football matches I've ever seen. You know, I was thinking the other day, I reckon Liverpool-Arsenal 89, you know, last game of the season, that's got to be right up there. And Liverpool-Newcastle, you know, one of those four threes. Yeah, the three, ninety six. Yeah. Uh, Those were just unbelievable games. But that, but my team wasn't involved. And then, the, unfortunately for you guys as well, you know, the, the so-called Battle of the Bridge a few years ago, the Leicester thing, I enjoyed that night. Obviously, I did you know with pure schadenfreude but mm. i you know and hazard's goal was great but it wasn't the best game of football i've ever seen but monday night was absolutely ridiculous i mean at five goals five disallowed goals two red cards potentially two more red cards i think james and colwell can can be can consider themselves genuinely which lucky. was the
2: colwell one i remember the james elbow obviously he just,
1: just lost it just went absolutely oh, that's mental, right just like that's shoving right. everyone um, and the and commentators just, were
2: saying, I, I I don't know which commentators you listened to, but the commentators on Sky were saying that they felt actually that Emerson Royale saved will there by getting in the way. What they should have done is yeah, let him keep attacking yeah. us.
1: No, I give you that. I, I I mean, I know he's young and all, but he just absolutely lost it. So, and I thought the James thing, I wouldn't have given a red card. I'm a Chelsea fan, but I've seen him given, right? You know, that whole, you know, leverage thing, whatever. Mm. He's looking at the ball, but, but, you know, it could have been four red cards, 20 minutes uh added time and then of course we've got I think I'm sure I'm sure you're going to want to talk about the high line of Tottenham which for from a Chelsea perspective was was an invitation but it Mm. made for an absolutely cracking game right
2: yeah so I'm just going to start just because of uh, you mentioned the red cards and I I want to lead on to VAR a bit as well do you feel because I feel uh, and actually I think Mark Klattenberg has since talked about the battle of the bridge as his determination not to give a red card so as not to incite the rest of the game With the early kind of kick from Romero and obviously the two-footed challenge uh, from Destiny O'Doggy, do you feel like that was the referee and potentially even the VAR doing the same thing and then eventually it got to a point where Romero had completely lost his head and, and went through on Enzo Fernandez?
1: Yeah, Romero had clicked, just woken up that day, hadn't he? And just said, "This is I'm going to leave my print on this game."
2: Well, or uh, yeah, or I, do you think Pochettino being Argentinian and Enzo Fernandez being Argentinian? Do you think there's a possibility that a big part of that team talk was here's how to press the buttons of Christian Romero?
1: Wow, I love it. It's a bit. It's a bit tinfoil hat conspiracy theory but i
2: like
1: it i'm, I'm well, not sure that, it, that they've gone that well, far
2: it is except in the all or nothing documentary for spurs with jose Mourinho, they showed yeah. a clip of him at halftime, i think in a man city game saying you will get this player sent off if you do this this and this so i, I know what you yeah, mean it me. is conspiracy theory we've got no evidence to back it up but it does happen clearly
1: but coaches definitely know you know they they, they have profiles on each player and how they react certain situations or whatever and of course they'll tell the player marking them to push the buttons but Romero I have the feeling that even if Fernandes hadn't been anywhere near in the whole game he still would have he would have done it It just felt like he was going to do a Cantona-esque dive into the crowd if he didn't have a player to find I don't know what (laughs) he was on that day but um yeah it is actually just
2: part of his makeup you have to take the rough with the smooth
1: Exactly, he's a great footballer. Um, he wins a lot of balls back for you that that uh in the past Spurs uh, center midfielders haven't won back, right? He's he's terrifying with regards to that. But um, I'm afraid I put a little bit of blame on the on the door of the the referee as well. He did let it go and it, it made for this you know amazing London Derby kind of feel, which is fantastic, which we all want to see. But it looked a little bit Chelsea Leeds from the nineteen seventies, at a couple of points. You know, it, it it went too far, and then and then chasing your tail as a referee, and then all of a sudden you're varring everything. You know, because you're thinking, oh, it's gonna it's gonna kick off here, and it, it kind of nearly did, which is a pity.
2: And yeah, perfect timing. So VAR, I think I I heard I'm. I'm not getting the stats correct here, but there was something like I heard on a Spurs podcast last night in that first half, 24 minutes of play and 34 or 36 minutes of VAR time. Uh, you're, you're, a, you're an old man like me. Uh, yeah. You know, well, I've got two points actually because something's kind of come up in my mind. Firstly, how do you feel about it? Do you think it adds to the excitement or do you think it's too much? Uh, would you, what would you do with it? And secondly, is there a chance that players are now getting injured, do you think? Because they're waiting around for so long that they're not, you know, they're not warming up and they're not warming down. And I mean, you know, I'm biased. So I'm going to say Mickey van der Ven, who is obviously a pace mm. player. He's literally yeah. pulled his hamstring about two minutes after one of those long layoffs. So, But firstly, you know, how how do you feel about VAR?
1: The second question is a really interesting one. Um, I feel very strongly about VAR. I was, uh, I live in Germany. You didn't mention that to your audience. I'm English, but I live in Germany. I coach a, the reserves team of a German pro football club um and so you know I, I experienced the German football world but I, I, I watched the Premier League all the time and uh one of the lowest points in my entire life was was the Lampard part shot that went past noise Neuer, over Neuer's shoulder and went three feet over the line yeah, World good. Cup
2: 2010 wasn't it was
1: well it exactly yeah. yeah so and I and I remember sitting watching that goal saying we have to make that we have to go that step now we have to go to, to technology you know, whether it's VAR or, or Hawkeye or whatever, we have to now, because that's just not right. Um, and so
2: to I be, was... But to I be was, fair, which they did with goal line technology, and that's great because it's yes or no. That they Nobody, did, they nobody did. complains they about that ever.
1: They did. But then it was a bit of a sliding scale. And I, I found myself over the years going, yeah, the goal line technology has worked more or less um you know I, I remember bolton getting relegated right when because of that you know goal, losing 20 million basically because that, that that one of their goals didn't count there have been right. so many key moments where i thought or oh, play the wrong player getting sent off you know all these stupid things yeah. so i was generally for it but i to this day i cannot understand why they don't do it the same as almost every other sport tennis has had it for years and it's absolutely brilliant Uh, I think cricket do it brilliantly. American football, hockey do it brilliantly. And what they all do is that the coaches get challenges, X Mm. challenges per half. Mm. You know, in cricket, if you use a challenge, um, oh, sorry, in American football, if you use a challenge, you you lose a timeout. So it's like a, you know, they have to weigh up the importance. And I'm sorry, let's take this game on Monday as an example. The five goals that were all varred for hours and hours and all the different fouls and all the elbows and all the little tiny things that that were varred I would argue that nine out of ten of those neither coach cared less about, right? Mm. Or didn't see, or or thought, I'm more, I'm more focused on this at the moment. And what what I'm finding at the moment is the VAR is wasting so much time on things that most people in the stadium and watching at home don't even notice. You hear the commentator go, Yeah, I don't know, there's a shot of goal and the ball goes into the crowd, you know, and there's a bit of a bit of a lull and they go and get the ball or whatever. And you hear the commentator go, oh, they're VARing something. Mm. And, and you're watching it, you go, what are they VARing? No one's seen anything. Those things drive me nuts. And yeah. on Monday night, you could have saved so much time because I reckon Pochettino would have varred uh, maybe Caicedo's goal. You know, yeah. if be like, why? Why wasn't that given? Because that looked to me that didn't look offside at all. And maybe the
2: Son disallowed goal as well. And the Son ho- ho- disallowed goal, hoping, I'm yeah.
1: sure that Ange would have would have uh, would have asked to var that. You know, what I mean, and the rest of it, you could have saved. Yeah, You know, um, that's how I stand on it. I agree. I I, I appreciate that there are other people who've got an issue with that, but I think you'd save a whole load of time and then, and it would make for good theatre because afterwards yeah. they'd be like, oh, and you didn't, you didn't var that. Why didn't you do that? And it's the same. They asked the England cricket captain the same thing. And he's like, well, you know, I thought that was LBW and I didn't think that one was. So I had and to go and
2: so it. you'd give it to the managers, not the captains.
1: Uh, maybe give it to the captains. Maybe that's a better idea. Yeah, I but
2: don't know. Not- I mean, I, I don't have an answer to that. I'm just intrigued by it. The second thing I wanted to... Say, I mean, we'll go on to the injury bit, which I still want to talk yeah. about. But the second thing just that you made me think about is um, some people I heard talking on a, an excellent Tottenham podcast called uh, The Extra Inch last night mentioned something that I thought was really important, which is now it, it's, it's drifted over now where the game isn't for the people in the stadium anymore. It's for the people at home. It used no. to be the fact that the people in the stadium had the kind of one up on the people at home because they'd be able to see things that maybe cameras couldn't, some of the cameras couldn't get and they'd know exactly what was going on. But now they, some of the people who are at the um, game that I was listening to were saying there were numerous times where they had no idea what was going on. And that's wrong, isn't it? That's wrong.
1: I, I haven't heard a single argument as yet as to why that has to be like that. They've got every, pretty much every stadium's got these ridiculously massive screens that are pointless. They're basically just massive PowerPoint screens that no one mm. really needs. Mm. But goodness sake, use them. It's just pressing one button. So like some guy in the control room's got to press one button that says the people at home can see it and the people in the stadium can see it. Mm. Why are we allowed to see it? The only mini counter argument could be that people could kick off and you'd hear people yeah. going, No way, that's not it. A... But they spend 90 minutes that saying that. That is it, it,
2: though. That is it. Because when I used to steward at Spurs, we were yeah. we were specifically told that the reason why they weren't allowed to um show any replays of any tackles or anything uh or even of away goals that were offside is because of the inciting the crowd argument but no, you know
1: I, I, I don't buy that i'm sorry i don't buy that because the crowds are it's a london derby it's it's tottenham chelsea everyone's incited anyway of you course. Know, it's the most, it's arguably certainly on our calendar in you know, a tottenham away is the biggest Day of the year, so they're, mm. they're up for it anyway. Yeah. So I, I I don't buy that argument. I'm sorry, and you've got to treat them like like adults. Um, yeah.
2: And expect you, them not. Go what on. do you think about this injury thing that I've come up with like Very out of good. nowhere? But for some reason, I'm so angry about the loss of our best defender that I've cu- had to come up with a conspiracy theory. No, I
1: I don't. Yeah, I I, I would put you down for a conspiracy <laughs> theory, but I I think it's a really good point you mentioned. Just this week, coincidentally, my uh, coaching staff and I did some research into, because we're considering, we we send our players to go and warm up, uh you know, five minutes after the second half starts, right? yeah, yeah. And then we send six, seven players out there and then we call them over. You're allowed to sub five times these days. We call them over as we need them. um And we realized that some of them are like warming up for 40 minutes. If you've got extra, to, some of them are warming up for nearly an hour. It just seems stupid. So we, coincidentally of your question, we did some research and I looked into some of the literature this week. And there's a lot of good literature from 2022, stuff like that on the subject of, of re-warming up, right? Mm. That actually it's better to send the player away for 10 minutes, then he sits down for 15 minutes, then he goes away for another 10 minutes and to have phases of it. And there's a reason for that because keeping the, the, the muscles warm is hugely important. I think you're onto something here, I really do. Mm. And not just because of the hammy injury from Monday night, but um, we're There are stats saying up-
2: there there are huge stats now for how many more injuries there are in the last few years. And obviously everyone's talking about it's because of uh, the World Cup and there's so much more football being played. And I'm sure that yeah. of course that factors in as well, but yeah. I just wonder whether this is a factoring in that needs to be taken into ca- account when they're laying out the kind of pros and cons of VAR in its current state, which which it has become the most talked about thing in football. And that's not right either, in my opinion.
1: It was, it was supposed to be introduced so that we're not talking about those pointless referee decisions anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think it needs to be looked into and not only from a physical perspective, you know, yes, there will be muscle injuries, but also for a cognitive point of view, you know, staying switched on in the fastest game of the year in the fastest league in the world um, for the for the potentially 60th time this year is an enormous cognitive uh, challenge that these players are put through. And now the games are not 90 minutes anymore. They're now 110 minutes. Of um i think it's going to lead to a lack of quality you know i think yeah people are going to make more mistakes because they're going to be switched off because they're going to have hamstring injuries or whatever and it's just going to become sloppier and we love the league because it's so tight and it's so good right
2: yeah so moving on i guess to uh the as you mentioned earlier the uh now uh, this will become if 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 the game before was the battle of the bridge this will be like the highline derby or something <laughs> mental like that. Um, it, well, I have to say, so I was watching, I I it, I was watching in my, in my uh, living room with my flatmate, and I was screaming at the screen. I have to say, so, you know, in hindsight, I...
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
2: I get it. I get it. Like, um, Postacoglu is saying, I am testing you now as players. Are you willing to play the same way, even though you're down to nine men, to prove to me yeah. that no matter what happens this season and in forthcoming seasons, you will never go to your default setting under Conte and Mourinho, which has been backwards, 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 negative, blah, blah, blah. And they did it. But it was... Unbearable as a Spurs fan to watch. But then also it got to a point, I think about 75 minutes, where it became hilarious because Chelsea was so bad at finding what seemed such an easy key to the lock. So I'm intrigued as you know, as a Chelsea fan, first and foremost, before on a coaching side, you know, what did you think watching that kind of 20-minute period?
1: I, I was watching it with my son, who's 15, he's a good footballer himself. And I I must have said. I can't believe what I'm seeing twenty times, yeah. and I really couldn't believe it. And and I and I respect the guy hugely. He did an amazing job at Celtic. He is doing an amazing job at Tottenham. He's getting Tottenham to play the way that you know I was brought up in the eighties with Hoddle and and Waddle and all of these players. He's playing the way that I think uh, Tottenham should play and want to play. And as all the Tottenham fans I know say that they want to play that way. I have huge respect for it, but it is absolute. Suicide. It is. <laughs> it is tactical. It is football su- tactical suicide. It's very hard with eleven players, mm. but with nine, it's almost impossible. And and he 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 was talking about philosophy a lot after the game, right? Uh, which I respect. And I think I saw a quote that he said, um, "I'd do it if we went down to five men." Yeah, yeah. There's a there. There must be a moment, not just in football, but in any professional uh, pursuit, where where pragmatism has to be uh, philosophy, right? Because the reason the back four stands high or the back the back line, whatever it may be, is to reduce the distances between the other lines so that it makes it possible to press, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't talked about the first 20 minutes, but Tottenham absolutely destroyed Chelsea for 20 minutes, not only with beautiful flowing football, but with absolutely uh, uh, strangling pressing. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it works because the front three pressed Chelsea's back line so much and then the midfield push up, and then the back four push up, so that even if Chelsea do get out of the press and chip the ball into midfield or whatever, there's another line coming. Mm. If you do that without that front three, so there was no press, there was no yeah. pressure on the ball. Mm. There were times when when Silver had the ball or um, uh, James had the ball, and he had twenty five yards of space, and you'd never get two yards of space in the Premier League, let alone twenty. And then he's looking up, and he's got four players making a run into the uh, in behind. Oh, which player shall I dink the ball over? I'm sorry, it made Tottenham look silly, and and I and I respect um, Postacoglu hugely to, for sticking to his um, philosophy. But if Chelsea, I mean, and let's talk about how badly Chelsea did it. How many balls did Chelsea chip <laughs> over the top and and it went to the goalkeeper? I know. You've got 40 yards of space. You see videos of pros at training, you know, on Instagram, and then chipping balls into buckets and stuff. They couldn't put it in a in a car park, they couldn't hit a yeah. massive target. Yeah,
2: so- I have to say, I've say during that period of the game, I said uh it'll be Raheem Sterling who sorts this out because everybody else had just somehow lost their mind, I think, and and mistimed their runs. And the only two that I was impressed with, and it was Sterling who made the right run in the end, was Kukurella who who yeah. realized to make a run from deep. Like that was
0: clearly start the thing. From deep,
2: exactly, start yeah. from deep and you time it exactly right, and Sterling, who eventually sorted it out. Um I texted you a few times about this. I think it's worth bringing up. I was really amazed. I mean, I I guess I'm not surprised, but the script after the game of, you know, Nicholas Jackson, man of the match, and he got a hat-trick and whatever. But we, you know, he got a hat-trick because the goals that he scored were only, were given to him on a plate by the players. And I felt strongly that they were unwilling to pass to him. Like they were unwilling to put him through because they didn't trust him. And then, and then actually, um, uh, Cole Palmer in the after game interview, you know, he he was said, oh, you know, he was asked, oh, you know, it's been a difficult start for Nicholas. Do you think this will help him out? And, he's, and Cole Palmer just went, yeah, it has been difficult for him. Let's not lie about it. I was <laughs> like, I just don't think they rate him. But like, in the end, the finishes he made were from six yards. Yeah. And then, and the one, and even the
1: one-on-one, he was desperate to pass it. I think he was
0: shitting well, himself.
1: Barney, I don't disagree with you, but unfortunately, you've made Tottenham look even worse here, because if a player... If you play a system that allows Jackson to score three goals and a half, something's wrong. No, I agree. I I
2: agree. But I I personally am choosing, maybe this is my, you know, glass half full thing. I'm choosing to think that this is Postacoglu using this situation as a um, long-term kind of... A
1: statement. This is the kind of football we're going to play, come what may.
2: Because also... The last time Spurs went down to nine men, I think was about 20 years ago against Everton away, as far as I remember. It's actually, it's totally bizarre to me that it's happened twice at our stadium this season. Liverpool went down to nine men and now Spurs go to nine men. It's very, very rare, but I think he was just, and then the other thing I think is just like, well, you're down to nine men, you're going to lose anyway. So when it happened to Liverpool this season and I was at that game, Klopp actually did shut up shop and you'd actually think, well, the one person who probably won't is Klopp, but he did and he went very narrow and eventually kind of even took off all the attacking players, I think. And then they lost in the last kick of the game, right? And I think yeah. maybe Postacogli is like, well, at this period of, of my situation at Spurs, three months in, what's more important, that we lose in a way that teaches us for the long term or that we lose, you know, valiantly in the last kick of the game or whatever? So I, I, choose to think, I choose to think it's that, but I totally understand that I think people who are not... um who are not uh, invested in Tottenham in the same way would just look at it and think you are mental. I get that.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I totally see what you've done there. I I don't consider him mental. I'm genuinely a huge fan. I love the way that Celtic played football, for example. Um, I think he's going to do brilliantly. Um, And I think your argument is fair. It's very, very rare as a coach that you have to coach a team uh, that's gone down to nine players, you know, managers all the time, every couple of weeks we'll have a session where they'll play 10 V nine deliberately, how do we get organised again? What does our shape look like when we when we if we do go down to ten men? Right. But I don't know a single coach who's ever trained that. You know, uh, you know, under the hypothesis that we'll go down to uh, to nine, nine men. So yeah. Um, so th- it kind
2: then- of looked like they had them <laughs> to
1: me. It kind of looked like
2: maybe that wasn't because it, it straight away it was like straight away they were on that line and they, it struck me they were even higher than they were when they've got eleven men like like Dyer, uh, yeah, Dyer was on the halfway
1: that- line. I was like, what are you doing? I think that, yeah, I know. The, I think the reason for that is because they were trying to get some pressure on the ball. So if they yeah. stood higher, they were hoping that the midfield would play higher. You mentioned Dyer, and I think this is an important point as well. Philosophy, uh, come what may, you've got to have the right players to do that, mm. right? There's a reason why Joe Hart was booted out at, at, at Man City because yeah. he can't play that system, right? He's a great goalkeeper. Um, I love Dyer as well. I love him for England. And, you know, I. I uh, loved him as much as any England fan when he scored that penalty, but he's he's not a player. He's not a one-on-one player. You know, he no, doesn't have the place. I'll
2: tell and you so why, C- because he turns like a tugboat, but he's, he's incredibly quick once he gets going, ironically. Right,
1: but that's why he was, I don't know whether you noticed, but that's why he was getting into this sort of sideways surfer position, right? Just anticipating the pass to try and give himself an extra yard i respect that but he's just not the it's like you know as a chelsea fan it would be like asking tiago silva to do that okay i know he's seven years older or whatever but he's the same or a john terry or whatever you don't ask john terry and and gary cahill to, to to play that kind of system um so if you don't have the players and i know dyer hasn't played much and i know he got subbed on but then as a again as a manager i'm thinking okay i've got my philosophy but today I don't have Johnny and Bobby to do that philosophy. So I'm going to have to have a plan B because I've got Eric Dyer and a couple yeah. of others.
2: Yeah, no, I get that. Okay, so we've we've waxed lyrical about this for actually much longer than I thought. So I'm going to go into now, uh, just to kind of finish off, you know, how do you see the difference between where Tottenham are now and where Chelsea are now, kind of three months into their new managership? Obviously, I'd say it's, it's worth pointing out the main difference is Chelsea have spent a lot of money and Tottenham have lost their best ever player. Uh, so that's me kind of adding in my two pence worth. But but I think it's worth asking you, you know, where do you think the two clubs are? And also, how do you think the season will pan out?
1: Light years. They're absolutely light years apart. Tottenham, the way you started the first 25 minutes, I thought it was going to be a cricket score and absolutely deserved it. You You sliced us to pieces mm. for, to, for 25 minutes. To be fair to Chelsea, they came back into it and they had that sort of, frenetic period you know with a couple of offside goals and whatever um so they didn't they didn't let their heads go down but Tottenham were clearly a class above and clearly looked like everyone in, in the system knows what their job was mm. um yeah there are little things that need tidying up or whatever but but uh no Tottenham are absolutely light years ahead of Chelsea at the moment and uh that pains me hugely to say is that,
2: that do you think that's because so of- because obviously, I love Pochettino. It's difficult that he's gone to Chelsea, but I also don't think he was left as much choice. He got
1: a lot of booing. I don't, think, of I
2: don't think they were given a lot of opportunity to boo as much as maybe they would have liked to because we turned the sound system up and we, we tend to do that in difficult moments. But, um, it's difficult. It's difficult that he went for Chelsea, but I personally don't think he was left with much choice. He was flirting with Spurs, like back end of last season. He was on Instagram every day, like, "Oh, I'm at another golf day with the Tottenham legends." And I think he, I think he was interested really in coming back. But I think Levy. I think I personally think Levy saw something when interviewing Postacoglu. It was like, hmm, this this might be the safer option in terms of not going back. But do you want I to
1: say, t- do you want to hear my take? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Reckon, I reckon if he had gone back you wouldn't be as good as you are now.
2: No, well, that's, that's what I was going to say. is, And I was going to ask about Pochettino at Chelsea. And I wonder, yeah. if, I wonder if the reason why it feels to you that we're far further ahead is because Pochettino knows, having been given so many new players and particularly new young players, whether he needs to kind of drip feed the philosophy a bit slower whilst those players are bedding in rather than just hitting all these kids at once with, and you've got to do it like this, because if they fail at that at the start, there's nowhere for him to go, is there?
1: I agree with that completely, and I would add that disastrous season that Chelsea had last year. You know, uh, w- whether Tottenham fans want to hear this or not, Chelsea are one of the biggest clubs in the world in the last twenty years, mm. uh, and then they became an absolute mess. To have another season where you're a complete mess because you're trying new things, um, I, 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 you know, I think we would have gone through a, a manager a month. So I think that would, I think that's why we're seeing a slightly more pragmatic Pochettino. I think he's trying to get the foundation built. Um, you don't have much time at Chelsea. Everybody knows that. but I think I think it's showing that he's sort of matured a little bit because I think a Pochettino five years ago also the Pochettino that came from Tottenham uh, that came from uh, uh,
0: uh South Southampton. And,
1: went, yeah. and went to Tottenham was like da, 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 you know rock and roll football. um but I that's quite a few years ago now and I think he's mellowed a little bit. Uh, it's interesting. Now that I've just said that, I realise quite a few managers seem to do that, don't they? You know, Klopp's like mellowing a little bit, like you he said. Is, yeah. He does close up sometimes. Mourinho went from this fantastic, exciting uh, manager to just the dullest of all time. So yes, um, I know. <laughs> enjoy, pot- enjoy, uh, Ange, while you've got him, while he's in yeah, the
2: zone. I think so. Uh, it is a very exciting time to. Um, so just last, lastly, then prediction, kind of for the rest of the season. Where do you envisage Chelsea and Spurs kind of ending up from? you know, from a Chelsea fan's point of view for Chelsea and then from the outside with Spurs?
1: I reckon Chelsea, to be fair, they're not great, but they they have dominated the ball in most of the games and they've been done on the break a couple of times by teams that they would normally, that I think they had on that day deserved to win. So I think that the position is a little bit, a bit worse than it should be, but I can see them finishing top half, maybe scraping into Europe or something. And I think that'd be good. Can I just be say before
2: sure. you go on Spurs, you must know living in Germany more about Nkunku than I do. Do you think he might be the difference?
1: He's a fantastic footballer, really, really exciting footballer. Seriously, um, he's—he uh, reminds me of Michael Owen. He is really, really exciting. Uh, but having said that, I said that about Werner as well. So. Yeah. Uh, I,
2: I, I rated it. Timo Werner actually. I was surprised it didn't work out for him.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think he could make a huge difference when he comes back. Um, uh, and I would be hugely dis- uh, surprised if Tottenham don't get into the Champions League. I think okay. I think you're easily good enough to do that. Seriously. These couple of injuries now, you've got to see how that how that pans of out. Course. But uh, no, I, I also never thought I'd say this, but I think the way you're playing football, I'd be happy for you to get in the Champions League. I think that would be deserved.
2: Uh, what a place to end. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Can you please tell the audience where they can find you? Maybe they want to employ a presenter or or something like that or or get you on their podcast. Where can they find your stuff?
1: That's very kind. Uh, the easiest way, I guess, would be my website, mattbeadle.com. M-A-T-T-B-E-A-D-L-E dot com so yeah i i host events and uh films and uh corporate stuff and a little bit of tv that kind of thing thanks thanks Brilliant. for having me on day, barney i really enjoyed it
2: no problem and guys at home don't forget if you're listening to this on uh one of your podcast platforms please do please do also go over to youtube youtube.com forward slash at barnaby slater underscore and vice versa if you're watching on youtube please do subscribe and follow be it on spotify apple Podcasts, or google Podcasts. listen to listen to this show in your car or when you're having a run and don't forget
0: come on you spurs